On this episode of Don't Show My Face, I'm going to tell the story of someone who wrestled with power, with people in power. His name is Alex Fack. And while you've probably never heard of him, you may have heard of the Nord Stream pipelines. You probably heard about them because recently somebody, and we still don't know who, blew them up in an apparent act of sabotage. Alex Fack warned against building the Nord Stream 2 project because he thought it was just something Russia was doing to run boondoggle schemes on. In other words, in order to run corruption schemes, to slide money into the pockets of politicians and other people involved. He got fired from his job for saying just that. I flew to Boston in October to meet Alex, and today I'm going to tell the story of that face-to-face meeting, and I'm going to talk about it with my co-host, Paulina. I'm going to tell her some of the details that no one has reported yet that show just how much Russia wanted to eliminate anyone speaking out against the Nord Stream 2 project. I'm James Reed, and this is an episode of our ongoing series, Big Mistake. This one's called Alex Fack, The Man Who Tickled Giants. Sehr geehrte Damen und Herren, gerade eben sprach ich vor der Einheit der europäischen Kultur. Ladies and gentlemen, Excellencies, we've come to the high point of our ceremony. We're going to turn the wheel of history. The 8.8 billion euro Nord Stream project was agreed in 2005 by then Russian President Vladimir Putin and then German Chancellor Gerhard Schröder. Die Welt ist, meine Damen und Herren, viel, viel komplizierter geworden. Und in Nord Stream 2 muss man so umgehen, dass Gas durch diese Leitung fließen kann. We get the impression that our Ukrainian partners have boarded a train called cheap Russian gas and don't know what stop to get off at. He warned Ukrainians not to resist and to lay down their arms as columns of Russian armored vehicles rolled across Ukraine's borders. You look so different. What's different about you? You look like 10 years younger. I'm not trying to just flatter you. <laughs> really? It must be all that stress from working full time. So like I said at the top of the show, that's Paulina. She's going to be my co-host today. Should we jump into this? Oh my God, I'm so excited. Ever since you bought your tickets to go to the US, which you even didn't even tell me about that you bought your tickets, but just the idea of you buying tickets to go to the US to see <laughs> our man, the facker. <laughs> it's just, I've been excited ever since. So please, what happened? Yeah, it was pretty crazy that I booked a plane ticket actually. Sitting here at the airport in Frankfurt, getting ready to fly out in the next hour to Boston. You know, it's like one of those things where you're kind of going along and like day after day, you're getting deeper into something and you're not really like aware by the end of it how crazy it is because you've been there every step of the way, but like other people see the insanity of it. I've never been to Boston before. I've never had a reason to go to Boston. The only reason why I'm going to Boston now is to meet and interview Alex Fack, a former financial analyst for Russia's largest bank. I finally like saw the insanity of this when I was writing about it afterwards. And I went back and I read his emails to me from the beginning, which were like, 
he was literally writing to me, please leave me alone. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> this is how we started out. <laughs> this is amazing. So all my friendships begin. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it ended with me getting on a plane to go to Boston. Charlie Baker. Welcome to Massachusetts and thank you for choosing Boston Logan International Airport, gateway to this remarkable state. So I'm here in Boston and I'm waiting to get on a bus to take me into the city. Now arriving. Terminal E. I stayed in a hotel that was like 300 euros for one night. And was not a great hotel. Oh, shit. And the whole city was going crazy because it was Halloween. I think it was two days before Halloween that first night. And there were parties everywhere. I went out that night. I left the hotel to walk around the city. And the streets were just flooded. And all these young people wearing costumes, dressed like superheroes, dressed like 80s aerobics teachers, dressed like, I don't know, like psychotic nurses, you know, like all the typical stuff, <laughs> like uh, the the Joker. I'm walking around trying to plan an interview <laughs> with this guy that used to work in finance in Russia. And just every person that passes me is wearing a costume. So I walked around like in that scene for a while. I got some Chinese food and I went back to the hotel. I fell asleep with the sounds of like Halloween murmuring through the window and I stayed asleep until my alarm went off the next morning. We had planned to meet, I think around 12 o'clock. So I get on the subway, I'm on my way there and like, Every 10 minutes, I'm really thinking, like, he's going to cancel this. He's going to write to me. He's going to say he forgot about it or he's sick or something happened at home or, you know, like, whatever. It's got to be, this is not ever going to happen. Yeah, his dog ate his homework. (laughs) Yes, exactly. His grandma just passed away. Yeah, like, who knows? It, It could be anything, you know? Yeah. And when you put that much pressure on, like, one moment, you're just, like, tempting Murphy's Law to come and fuck you up in a grand style. This is the sound of me walking around Boston. It's freezing cold here. I get there early. I'm like an hour early. I can't eat anything. I'm too nervous. And I'm literally telling every single person, like a proud schoolboy, I'm like, in an hour, I've got an interview, and I've been waiting a long time to talk to this person, and I'm so excited about it. (laughs) That's so American. (laughs) I know. And they're all like, oh, yeah, who's it with? And I start to tell them and I see their face like dissolving into boredom while I'm like, well, you know, there's this pipe called Nord Stream. And this guy worked in Russia. And and they're like, "Uh uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. Then it's, 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 it's getting close to time. So I'm like, this is it. Okay, he hasn't canceled. This is really gonna happen. I go up the steps of this library. It's beautiful. It has stone steps. There's a lot of American flags hanging out. Of course. uh, On the side of the building, like waving in the wind. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. And I go into the library and I'm just standing around 
waiting to see like when he's going to show up. And then I get this phone call. I pick up the phone and there's Alex Fack. Oh my god. Who also I've never even heard his voice. I was about to say you did, you had never even spoke to him on the phone, did you? And never spoke to him on the phone. But all of a sudden there he is calling me and I pick up and he says, "Hi James." I said, "Oh, hi Alex." Uh, I said, I'm just heading to meet you. He said, well, come inside. I'm in the back in the courtyard. I'm wearing a black trench coat. <laughs> no, he didn't. Did he say that? I swear. These were the exact words. I am the man with the newspaper and the bouquet of flowers. <laughs> Red gardenias, if you must know. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, uh, okay, that sounds dubious. I'll be right there. <laughs> and he sort of chuckles a little bit and we hang up the phone. And I start walking down this long hallway. And there, in the courtyard, right in front of me, is Alex Fack. He looks exactly like he did in the photos that I found of him online, except for he's got gray hair now, like a full head of gray hair instead of just little tufts of gray hair on the sides. And he's wearing a black trench coat. And nothing underneath. <laughs> exactly. I wave. He waves back. He's never seen me before. He has no idea what I look like. And I go over. I say hello. We shake hands. And... We're in it. It's starting. I'm about to be interviewing Alex Fack. You must have been shitting yourself. <laughs> you must have had your trousers falling slowly to the bottom because you were like... <laughs> because of the load. Yeah, because of the load and because even like talking to him on the phone, I just imagine that you were just, you know, so struck and then I... What's the word? Enamored? I was. I was enamored. But, you know, like I was also thinking... Okay, you got to ask him for permission to record because like you got to record this now. Like you need the saying hello. And then like after the hello was over, it's like, "Okay, you need this now, this banter of you guys like talking. Like you need all of this. Like tell him, ask him, like get him <laughs> to say yes to record, you know." Yeah. So I'm like I'm kind of half present and then half in my head like telling myself like what to do that I got to get on top of this. I ask him. I'm like, "Hey, uh, you know, listen, uh, would it be okay if I record us talking today? And he's been really friendly and he, he kind of, you know, gets a little cloudy and he says, there's this thing. I had to look it up. It turns out I have a condition. What? <laughs> he says, I just looked it up today. I have what's called phonophobia. That's displeasure at hearing one's own voice. So I really would not like my voice to be on your podcast. Okay. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, goodbye. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course I didn't. I said, well, can I just record it so that I can get the quotes right? Uh, but I, I won't use your voice on the podcast. And he asked me to promise that I wouldn't, and I agreed. And he finally consented to me recording his voice. Okay, I have a few thoughts on this. Go for it. First of all, everybody, like everybody has phonophobia. Like who <laughs> listens to their own voices and is like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. Listen to this lovely sound. And then also he just doesn't have to listen to the podcast. Right. What's the problem? Like just do as everyone else does and don't listen. Yeah. You know, I don't know what it is. I can say this about myself that I hate hearing my voice speaking German a lot more than I hate hearing my voice speaking English. And while he's like, he speaks English and writes in English better than I do. I mean, he used several words that day I, I've never heard in my life. <laughs> you kept taking notes. 
Yeah, yeah. He he just picks this stuff up reading, you know, like literary giants. Like he told me that day he likes to read William Faulkner and Saul Bellow and, uh, you know, he reads everything he can get his hands on. So like his vocabulary is spectacular. But I, I do kind of get it because when I hear myself speaking German, it's a whole nother level of cringe. Like I hate my accent. It's not just my voice, but I hate my accent. And I kind of wonder if that was a part of it for him. I can't really say one way or the other, but I don't know. All I can say is he would let me play on the podcast his uh, his voicemail message. So so I am allowed to do that, and I, I will play it right now. Uh, you've reached Alex Fag. Uh, please do not leave a voicemail. Uh, I check all my emails, so please write to me. At- Thank you. Record your message at the tone. When you are finished, hang up or press pound for more options. I'll try to, though, explain to you a bit of what he was like. like Because I kept thinking, he reminds me of somebody when I was spending time with him that day. And I was like, who is it that he reminds me of? And I figured it out when I got back to Germany. He totally reminds me of Columbo. <laughs> Do you know who that is? <laughs> yes. All right, in case you don't know who Columbo is, I'm going to play a clip here. All you need to know is, like, this was a detective show in the 1970s, 1980s, back when music on TV sounded like this. And Columbo, the detective, he sounded like this. But what bothers me is not a single match was used. Now, whenever I borrow a match, it's because I want to light my cigar. Why would a guy pick up a book of matches and not use a single match? I imagine because he wanted to use them lighter. He had a completely filled lighter in his pocket. Like, I think part of it was the trench coat. Yeah. But he has this way of kind of leaning forward, and his head is a bit tilted, I think, when he speaks to you. And I always had the feeling that he was listening to every single word I was saying, as if he was building some kind of a case together. Can I ask you a personal question? You don't have to answer. The point is that he he's this person like Columbo that he just seems fascinated with whatever's in front of him. And I think he likes solving problems and he wants to get to the bottom of like the thing that's in front of him. So I start recording. And the first thing he says is, this is a quote, it's funny. I never realized that I seem so reclusive until I listened to your podcast. That was never my intention. Wow. He said, you know, he wasn't trying to hide from the world necessarily, but he didn't want to speak to anybody because, you know, he got fired from a job from a pretty big, important company. I mean, they're half owned by the Russian government, right? And he just didn't want to say anything publicly that could be used against him. And he said, quote, I wanted to get away from that whole situation. And I feel like I broke clean from it and got away from it, thank God, in time, because it's horrible the people who got stuck now in Russia. And and so then we got into his job because I really wanted to know, like, what did his everyday life look like when he was working at Sparebank? And I'm going to tell you about that after a little break. Oh, nice. (laughs) You really got your podcast voice out for that one.
We back. <laughs> we back. Welcome back to my podcast. Hit us with the facts. Facts. You get it? Wow. Good one. Good one. Good one. So this was a very short break for the listeners, but it was kind of a longer break for us because we talked about Alex Fack, I don't know, a month ago? It's been ages. <laughs> no. I forgot all about him. <laughs> Yeah, and we talked about everything. I like I told you the entire story, but then when I was editing it, uh, it was just a little bit boring. You said I was very boring. <laughs> no, you were not boring. I was boring. Because again, Alex did not want me to use his voice. And because of that, it was just me telling the story. And I think it doesn't work like that when it's just my voice talking the whole time. So I started trying to think of some kind of creative solution for this problem. And I have a little surprise for you. Oh my God. Are we going to get on a call with him? <laughs> no, oh. that would involve using his voice, sadly. Right. No, what I thought about doing, because I told you that he really reminded me a lot of Columbo. Right. Right. And I started, well, first I looked to see if the guy that played Columbo was still alive. Is he? His name was Peter Falk. And sadly, no, he's he passed away. Rest in peace, Peter. But there are a lot of people that do impressions of Columbo. No, 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 no. And one of them is this guy, um, Kevin Pollack, who was on uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, or Maisel, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Sometimes what you want, what you get, two very different things. By coming together under these trying circumstances. Yeah, he's like the father. He's the father of Joel on the show. Okay. So I, he, I think, has like the best impersonation in the world. And I called his uh, his agent, actually, <laughs> in the UK first. I want to play you me calling him, okay? You've got to be kidding me. No, I really did call him. James Reed, and I am a podcast producer based in Frankfurt, Germany. I was wondering about <laughs> booking Mr. Kevin Pollack for something that we want to do on one of our podcasts because we were looking for someone who could impersonate Columbo. Again, my name is James Reed. My telephone number is plus four nine. Okay, Again, my name there. is James Jolly Amber Mary. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, so they never called me back. Oh. <laughs> what? What an anti-climax. <laughs> but yep. I don't know if you know the service. It's called Fiverr. Yes. You know? I knew we were going to end up on Fiverr sometime <laughs> on this show. I knew this was going to happen. Okay. Well. well. For people who don't know what Fiverr is, can you explain what it is? Okay. Fiverr is a platform where People can offer their services, um, non-sexual, I think, um, for a certain amount of money and other people can book them. They can say, please edit my yearbook picture to look like I'm on a beach for 10 bucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or in this case, please pretend to be Columbo and read some quotes from Alex Fack. I hired a guy to do that and I'm going to play you his voice. You have too much money. I didn't know that there was money in making podcasts. Otherwise, I would have started this earlier. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm totally losing money doing this. Okay, so before the break, I said I was going to tell you about Alex and his work in Moscow. So here we go. Here is Alex telling about what his everyday life was like in Moscow back in 2018. Yep. So you wake up, you brush your teeth, then you go to the bank. You read the headlines. That's very important. You have to try essentially, very quickly, that if there's any news that just came out, you have to try and process it. And you have to try to understand what it means for the investment case. Alex is not going to like this. No, actually, you know, I asked Alex, and he loves Colombo. And in fact, this is going to blow your mind. He even thought about changing his name because he was teased so much for his name, for his last name being Fack. Mm -hmm. He literally thought about putting an L in his name for the actor that played Columbo, whose name is Peter Falk. No way. Way. That's wild. He's one of us. He's crazy. (laughs) He's one of us. Okay, I'm going to keep playing it. Yep. And then the rest of the day, you look at the financials. You try to think of new reports that you could write. So you try to think, what are the companies doing that is new? What kinds of projects are they working on? So Alex is working at the bank. He's like looking at all the financials and coming up with these reports. And the thing was, it was a pretty tricky task because like, he and all the other people that he worked with, they knew that these reports would get sent off to the clients and they weren't meant for public consumption, but the client could leak it at any time they wanted. Like the client could send it to whoever, their uncle, a reporter friend of theirs, whatever. And so Alex told me basically... So you put out a report that is sent off only to clients, but you always knew it might get leaked. The trick was not to care. It's kind of like, have you ever watched All the President's Men? Yeah, so he references this movie called All the President's Men. Do you know what that is? Have you ever seen it? I've never seen it, no. Do you know what it's about? Is it about Watergate? Yeah, it's about Watergate. And it's about Woodward and Bernstein, these reporters at the Washington Post. Right. Deep Throat. Exactly. They had, a, they had an informant named Deep Throat. I wouldn't quote you even as an anonymous source. I mean, you'd be on deep background. You can trust me. You know that. I was at a party once, and the lady put his hand over a candle, and he kept it there. He kept it right in the flame until his flesh was burned. Somebody said, what's the trick? And the lady said, the trick is not minding. So the point is that Alex like referenced this famous scene from the movie All the President's Men to explain that for him, working at that job, like the only way he got through was just to not care about the inherent risks. So the trick was not to care. You had to choose either or. Either you are going to try and hold on to your job and put out maybe not so interesting reports. Maybe still very useful, but not so interesting. Or you kind of go out on a limb. You know I published 15 reports like that, I believe. So just short of four years, I was doing that. 15 reports. Every one of those 15, you could find something that could have gotten me in trouble, probably. So that was one of the main things I learned from my trip. It was that Alex, 
Like he expected he might someday get fired because he knew he was writing things in his reports that were way too honest for the Russian government's taste. He knew he wasn't playing the game the way that his colleagues played the game, which he described to me as like this method of writing watered-down reports and then talking to the client in person and telling them the full truth in those meetings on the side. But Alex felt like that just wasn't fair. He wanted to come right out and say what he thought and put it down in the reports in black and white. And he did. And the wild thing is that for years and years, there were no consequences. In fact, he won an award for being the best oil and gas analyst in Russia every single year leading up to the year he got fired. On the one hand, he wasn't playing by the rules, but on the other hand, they were giving him the MVP award, like the most valuable player, the most valuable analyst every year. So he just kept going. Ultimately, what brought him down was his report about Nord Stream 2. I went into a lot more detail on that report back in part four of this series, so you should go back and listen to that if you haven't yet. But the short version is that Alex wrote a report in which he said that Nord Stream 2, the pipeline, that it wasn't a good investment for Gazprom, for the company that was building it. You have to remember that in 2018, when he wrote that, the pipeline wasn't finished yet. Germany and Russia were in the middle of building it. And Alex said the whole thing was nothing more than a corruption project for Russia, that it was all about throwing large amounts of money to the contractors building the pipeline, who could then hand that money back, or at least a part of it, to politicians and other people who were involved in the project. After everything he'd written in the past, that was what crossed the line. That was what got him fired. He was too honest when it came to Nord Stream 2. What a shit job, man. The other key thing that I learned on my trip to Boston was just how far up like Alex's gambit really went. He didn't want to go into that many details with me about that, but Alex did put me in touch with some of his former colleagues at the bank that he used to work at in Moscow. And the story they told me is pretty wild. Uh, they, they said that it wasn't just the management of the bank who decided Alex had gone too far. In fact, they didn't even think that the CEO of the bank had read Alex's report or knew what it was about. But it seems that the prime minister at the time, Dmitry Medvedev, he had read it. Because according to my sources at the bank, at Sperbank, Medvedev called the CEO and told him that the report on Nord Stream being about corruption was unacceptable and that Alex needed to be fired to send a message to anyone who spoke out in such a brazen way to tell them that this would not be tolerated. According to my sources, the CEO told Medvedev, Mr. Prime Minister, I'll take care of this. And then he fired Alex and Alex's supervisor. I can't confirm these details, but the story comes from colleagues that he used to work with. I have to protect their identity. A lot of them are still in Russia. Alex, when he heard this theory, he felt like, oh, well, now it all makes sense. Not only that they fired me, but the way that they fired me. Because as Alex said, I realized why they made it so incredibly public. I mean, they were shouting from the rooftops. 
And that was because they were trying to send a message. And the message was, listen, this whole thing about like stepping out of line and being brutally honest in your reports, that's over. Anybody that's going to think about doing that, just know it's going to cost you and whoever you work for your job. Wow. But without the two people who were supposedly on the telephone confirming the story, you know, like I said before, I can't say 100% that it really happened. I did try to contact Spearbank, but no one got back to me. They still have the CEO that they did in 2018, but he's actually under sanctions at the moment. And Russia is also pretty tight-lipped in terms of information sharing and also just like access to people in power like Medvedev. So for now, the story remains unconfirmed. But if it turns out to be true, then it shows really just how far up Alex and his report really went. It touched a nerve right at the top of the government. He really did, you know, tickle the giants, the the people in power in Russia. I interviewed Alex for something like four hours, and we walked that whole time around Boston. Like I said, it was the day before Halloween, so like all the houses had spider webs, uh, like decoration on them, or inflatable Halloween ghosts and graves and all this kind of stuff as we were walking around and talking. And then it was over. Then I had to get back. He had to get back. And we said goodbye. And I got on a plane. I came back to Germany. Oh, my God. And it happened. And you were on that plane. You were like, did that just happen? (laughs) I really was. And on the plane, you know, I was just thinking the whole time about his story, about him being born in Moldova and then going to grow up in the United States. This is something we talked about earlier in the series. Then he moved to Russia, and now he's back in the U.S. And, you know, the silver lining, I guess, to this whole story is that today he's really happy there. In fact, he even told me, When I arrived at the Boston airport, it felt like I was coming home. I felt it was my home airport, even though I'd only been there a few times before. I really felt like I was coming home. All right, Paulina, I know you want to go eat dinner now. Very much so. I just want to say thank you. You got it. Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you the next time I fly across the world to interview some rando. Okay. <laughs> Have a good evening. Bye. Bye bye. What you do in the fire tore through your little town? Did you pull down to the general store and carry your feet down to the dam out in the gum trees surrounded by the flames? This episode was produced by me, James Reed, for Invisible Pictures Germany 2022. Original music was by Husky Gwenda. You can find his music on Spotify. There will be a link in the description. Drunk and
I'm also going to put a link in the description for somewhere you can donate money to, money that will go to distribute food, generators, blankets, and other basic goods to people in Ukraine that are suffering without electricity and, yeah, suffering in the war that's still going on. Check down below in the description for that. Thanks for listening and take care.